0: The shadows of storm and night, the mysteries of life and light. From unearthly peculiarities, celestial and divine, to apparitions and transcendental signs, you're listening to To The Spirit Podcast. Hi, friends, and welcome to The Spirit. I'm your host, Beck. Today my guest. She has a bachelor's degree in business administration from San Jose State University in California, where she lived until 2011. She worked for many years in law firms, legal secretary, and ending up in information technology, and then went on to work for engineering companies in Silicon Valley, and also in a Department of Defense company that has ties to SRI. Since retiring, She's discovered she was a psychic medium and that knowledge was a catalyst for many discoveries about herself, one of which was that she was an E.T. abductee. Now, after reading Terry Lovelace's book, Incident at Devil's Den, she wrote to Terry Lovelace and he encouraged her to write her own book detailing her E.T. experiences as an abductee. She now lives in Chandler, Arizona with her husband and her two Maine Coon cats. Her book is Abducted and Furious. How I Fought Back, and How You Can Too. Please welcome Lisa O'Hara. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Of course. Before we dive in, where can people find you and find your book?
1: They can find my book at uh, Amazon. Uh, I have it on ebook there and also uh, paperback. And uh, they can find me on my website at lisaoharaonline.com. They can find me on Facebook, Um, I have a Facebook page called Abducted and Furious, and I have a Facebook group called Abducted and Furious with Lisa O'Hara, and they can email me at abductedandfurious at yahoo.com.
0: Great. I'm going to list all those in the details section of this episode. It can't be easy coming forward with all of this. It takes great strength to put your story out into the public. Can you give us a little background or tell us how it all started for you?
1: Sure. Uh, yeah, it's been kind of interesting. I mean, I've always been an unusual person because um, as a kid, I moved around all the time. And even though you're not from a, a foreign planet or anything, um, you know, you get the, uh, oh, you're not from here. We don't know you. And we're going to take our sweet time and getting to know you before we decide to talk to you or have lunch with you. <laughs> so um, it is difficult to come out with this because my whole, like, seemed like my whole childhood uh, was all about blending in and uh, not sticking out in any way. But when I was younger, I had a lot of experiences, but they weren't what you would call, like, experiences that you could label and say, this is a psychic experience. I must be psychic. These are just one-off experiences that maybe would happen and then it wouldn't happen again for three or four years. So um, one of the things that I remember happening um, was I was 10 years old and I was living in a foreign country and I kept having a daydream every night, which I could not get rid of. And I would have this daydream and it kept hopping up every single night. And eventually it came true, like after seven nights of this daydream showing up. Now, I didn't know what that was. And for a while, I actually thought I caused that to happen because what do you call that? There's no name for it. And then it happened again when I was 16. My dad was a mechanical engineer and he went for contract jobs. And so a lot of times that meant moving the whole family and moving it from one country to another or from one state to another every year or two years. And so I was just about to go into my senior year of high school or it was prior, a little bit prior to that, my junior year. And I was praying that we wouldn't move so that I would have to start over in another school. And so what was happening was I was thinking, oh no, don't move, don't move, you know, <laughs> but I got that daydream. It came back that I was going to move to a foreign country and I was just praying and praying that that wouldn't happen. And actually this isn't in the book because uh, some of these things, after talking about my childhood, some of these things pop up, you know, that I remember, yeah. but I did not put in the book. And sure enough, I spent my senior year in the Philippines. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was just a uh, really fun time. And, and, you know, it's hard to move to a foreign country. Now, in this case, I actually moved uh, to a country that had um, an American school or international school, as it was called. So I was moving to a place where it had tons of people just like me. You'd think that would be really, really cool. And it is. But, you know, there's also kind of like this feeling of not not making too deep of friendships because, you know, you're going to move soon, right? Like everybody was like that. They didn't want to get too close to you because they knew they were going to move soon too. So those kind of things happen. Then when I was living in another state in Alabama, when I was 11, cause we, I lived in Turkey actually until I was 11 and a half and we were living in Alabama. And this weird thing happened to me where I saw this white, circle. It was sort of like a glowing white circle. It kind of looked like a flashlight except for no light came from it. It was just a glowing white circle like as if you put a piece of paper up against a flashlight and so no light was coming out of it but it was glowing. So I saw this on my bed and I was very fearful of it and I started saying oh no oh no and I don't know why I was afraid of it since after I found out I was an abductee or or started remembering it. I would see those white circles and I actually know, do know what they are. They are actually lights from the abduction experience. Sometimes they use lights to, you know, either change your memory or or have you think a certain thing. That's what it is. Oh, okay. But I didn't know that at the time when I wrote the book. It took me a long time to figure that out because I just kept seeing it over and over. You know, these are the kinds of things that were happening to me. Also, when I was younger, I would know when, um, actually this still happens to me, but so my whole life I've known when someone's going to die and I'll get this certain feeling and it'll be like, take a picture with this person because you won't have much more time with them. That's the feeling. Wow. So it pops up and I'm, and I used to ignore it and I'm like, oh, come on, you know, (laughs) But I don't anymore because I've learned uh, that if you don't, you'll regret it. You'll regret not taking that photo and remembering this person from who they were at that moment in time. The other thing that happened quite a lot, and I didn't realize my sister, one of my sisters also had this happen to them, was anytime any relationship, uh, a job, a boyfriend, girlfriend, friendship was ending, it would feel like somebody flipped a switch. And then when that switch was flipped, that's it. You you know that it's ending or it's ended and you can't stop it. There's just nothing you can do. And, um, you just have to accept it. And, you know, growing up, you know, moving all the time, I would really try to hang on to my friendships as long as I could, but I found that it doesn't matter because it's just sort of like an earthquake when it happens it happens and you're not, you're not gonna, you know, you won't be able to stop it. You won't be able to keep it from happening. There's nothing you can do. And so in a way, I mean like what are those things? What would you call any of these things?
0: I would think that they were maybe related to your mediumship abilities as far as intuitiveness, knowing certain things like a deep-seated knowing. Did you think at the time when you were a child when you were seeing these glowing lights and you were having these feelings that it was possibly like ghostly?
1: Um no, I don't think I did. I I don't know. I just remember this intense fear. It was actually one of those things where you it's almost like, and I, I'm not, at the time, I didn't think like this. This is just my adultness now. I, I think right now it's that my subconscious or my unconscious knew what those white things were or what they represented to me. And that's why I was fearful of them. But it wasn't my conscious mind that was fearful of them. I actually didn't understand why I was so afraid of a couple of glowing white circles on my bed and I couldn't even fathom it. And it happened once. And then it never happened again until I was, you know, finding out and I was abductee um, where I was staying up a lot longer and trying to catch the ETs <laughs> the, when they showed up in my room, you know, that I realized, oh, I see this a lot. And I finally remembered that I did see them when I was a little girl too. So I, I didn't know at the time. And um, I don't I don't really even associate them now with ghosts because I associate ghosts with a certain feeling, like a, like a feeling of, um, tingles up and down your body or, uh, almost to an almost painful degree, you know, um, or, and I've seen orbs and I've seen them in pictures after I have taken them, but not while I'm in them, you know? Right. So uh, that's how I see ghosts as, you know, and sometimes I will actually see ghosts. We'll see half of them, you know, When I was reading Terry Lovelace's book, one of the things I saw was I saw quite a few ghosts walking around. And some of them seemed, you know, of a certain period of time. You know, remember when your grandma used to wear that apron that actually went around her neck and also around her body? Well, that's those are the kind of people I would see. Now, not to say that people don't wear those anymore, but it was just very, you know, like 50s looking ghost, a woman. And then I saw a man kind of wandering around. So, you know, those, I've actually seen ghosts and I've seen people up and reappear. So I don't really think of those, that circular thing as being a ghost, but you never know.
0: I, I believe that there are two distinct feelings between the supernatural in a spirit ghost realm and an alien encounter. I think that that would be totally two different feelings altogether. I actually... Practice EVP as an ITC researcher, and I have had some strange kind of communications that have come in, and there's definitely a different feeling that comes through spiritually opposed to something that may be extraterrestrial.
1: What is EVP? I've never heard of it. It's
0: electronic voice phenomena, and it's it's basically you're using electronics such as computers, telephones, laptops, cell phones, and you're able to touch base with the spirit world, but you're also open to other things. I've been doing it for over a decade and there have been times, and I've written like a little segment in my book about it, where I've had some strange things come through that definitely had that feeling you're talking about. It's kind of an uncomfortable, fearful almost feeling that comes through as opposed to talking to grandma on the other side. It's kind of like, what what is this? And the language is different. You know, the language that was coming through was very strange. It was almost like pounding salt. There was nothing of value there. There was no spiritual lessons. It was just kind of strange. Like, who am I talking to? It seems as though you have a tie in, obviously, with mediumship and spirituality. And then you also got this other side happening. And I'm wondering if that all ties together somehow.
1: Well, for a while, I did study to be a medium because I um, started feeling like I was being visited by entities that I didn't know what they were. And never in my wildest dreams did I think it was ETs. Your thought processes do go to the dead. And so I did look into becoming a medium, you know, as a business because, or, you know, just to know how to turn it on and turn it off, and went to a woman who mentored me to be a medium. And I did get messages, but the messages were very, very cryptic. And actually, a lot of times they reminded me of messages from my spirit guides, which were like, I I got one, you know, you are a beacon of light. Okay, well, I don't know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that little bit of wisdom, but I have no idea what that means. And, you know, they won't tell you. I don't know if you had that experience. It's
0: definitely like but, puzzle pieces that come through that it's, it is cryptic and it's kind of like you find out a little <laughs> bit further down the line sometimes what that meant.
1: Yes. Yes. And that's been my experience. Well, with my mother, uh, my mother passed away and she in 2014 and not knowing really what I was doing or how it was all working. Um, yeah, I did have some scary experiences with some unusual Things And I realized I was kind of in over my head and I really need to be careful of who I was connecting to, because I think initially I was kind of naive and thinking, how cool is this? But things, other things come through too. So that's why you have to be careful. But initially my mother came through and she was very specific, which, you know, in hindsight, I don't know if that was normal or what, but she specifically wanted me to tell my sister, you know, and give her a cryptic message of listen to your intuition. And again, you know, (laughs) that was the message. (laughs) My sister really wanted something more, but that's all there was. I mean, I I didn't know what to tell her. My mother was extremely specific about how I did it. I had to sit down and I had to write everything down in a certain way. And then I had to call her and then I had to tell her in a specific way. And it was just, it was strange. So I didn't know if that was really my mother. But at the time, my sister said, let's prove that this is really happening. So what do I hold in my hand whenever I meditate? And I'm like, oh no, you know. Because uh, I already felt sort of, you know, put on the spot anyway for having to even call my sister and tell her this stuff. And, you know, the pressure of it, because, you know, somebody else is relying on you to tell them what somebody else's message is. And it's sort of scary. So, um, I, you know, I asked them and they kept telling me, it's a crystal. It's a crystal. And so I said, that can't be it. And that's what I'm thinking in my head. So I finally say, it's a crystal. And she said, you're right. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, the whole listening to what they say and saying it are like really hard because um, you're being responsible for somebody's emotional connection with their loved ones. And it's just really hard. Anyway, that that happened. I did work on that for quite a while, but I just decided that the stress of feeling like this person was relying on me to tell them something important. And it may not completely get through. Maybe I'm not connected to the right person. You know, it just felt so stressful that I just decided that I couldn't, I didn't think I could do it because it was, and if you're a medium, my hat's off to you because that is a really hard job.
0: And you have to trust in what you're receiving. And I think that's the hardest part is not using that brain all the time. You have to shut it off and just go with what you're getting and trust it. Yeah. Yeah. So I I understand the hesitance because you just don't know. Without boundaries, what are you bringing through? Exactly. Who's coming through? Who's telling you stuff? And then, you
1: know, I would watch that Long Island Medium a little bit just to try to figure out how she set up her boundaries. And I felt like there was such a steep learning curve because you have to not only set up the boundaries, but she would say no gore and no, you know, don't come to me with any anything that's negative or blah, blah, blah. So I would say I don't want to see any gore. I don't want to know anything right. <laughs> like that. <laughs> But, you know, at the same time, I mean, if somebody's father died and they died in a car crash and I won't let them say, you know, how they died. I mean, that's like lacking of information. So I just felt like the learning curve was just so hard to, you know, work out these symbols or boundaries that um, I just felt like maybe I want to do this, but maybe I want to get some more experiences later. So what initially happened was, so I had meditated for a long time, and prior to that, I had talked to my spirit guides a lot. And um, they kept saying, oh, you have to have patience, you have to have patience. And I thought we were just going to learn about the cool stuff about being on the other side and learning what's over there and what really happens and that kind of thing. But no, not, not, not so much that. Uh, I meditated a lot, and the way they explained it to me was that at a certain point, I would start feeling or seeing things that would allow me to ask the right questions, I guess. And so what happened was uh, I was in bed meditating because I found that you can meditate and actually sleep pretty well. And um, I feel this incredibly negative presence in my room. And I say to my spirit guide, whose name is Corig, I think he's a male, but who knows? I don't think they have genders. But I said, what is that incredibly negative uh, feeling in my room right now? He said, oh, that's the greys. They've come to take you. They took all your eggs, and this is why you don't have children. Whoa. (laughs) Yes. So I was just shocked. Also, just could not believe that that was the truth, you know, because I've been seeking the truth for a long time. And unfortunately, the truth is not always what it's cracked up to be. When he told me that, I was just thrown through a loop. I was really scared, frightened, and couldn't sleep very well that night. I don't blame you. (laughs) and eventually did fall asleep, and I found that they have uh, mechanisms for making you fall asleep. They actually use some sort of... It feels kind of like a mosquito, like a cross between a mosquito bite and... Uh, like a mosquito, when it bites you, you can feel that little pinch. And I also call them sleep darts, because they dart you and you fall asleep. I mean, if you stay awake for very long, then you won't be able to sleep for multiple hours, and then they'll keep coming back and darting you, and then eventually... You'll fall asleep because uh, there, there's just no way around it. You will fall asleep. I told my husband and he poo-pooed it, which actually made me feel better because I thought, well, I feel safe now, you know, with them saying, "Wow, well, that's not true. That's, that's ridiculous. You know, that kind of thing. And at the time, uh, somebody had asked me a while ago, you know, why I had a hard time believing my inner voice when it came to the spirits. And why I didn't have a hard time believing this, it was just because I felt it. I felt the negativity, and I don't think I felt it before because I hadn't gotten my vibration up high enough to be able to feel it. And so when if my husband, you know, poo-pooing it and making me feel safe again, because that's the most striking feeling is that feeling of lack of safety. Uh, you think you go go to work, come home, make dinner, go to bed, maybe or watch a movie, go to bed, go to sleep and then you start all over, but you never imagined in a million years that you would actually be taken out of your bed. So
0: I was very, um, yeah, I was scared to death. Scared. I can't imagine that. I mean, you have the spirit guide who's just very blunt (laughs) and he's saying, oh, by the way, you're being abducted and they're harvesting your eggs. Did you ever want children?
1: You know, it's always been a weird thing about me now. Um, I am the oldest and I have three sisters. So technically speaking, I could see that, uh, you know, since I took care of my sisters when they were younger and I did the diaper duty and all that, (laughs) I could see that I would not necessarily want children. But at the same time, I expected to feel the feeling because a lot of people, when I was in my 30s, were all saying, oh, I'm feeling my ticking clock. And you know, those things, and I never did. I never felt any of that. And so it kind of made me feel like there was an understanding of why I was like that, because I didn't feel I was normal. I mean, I didn't think it was abnormal, but the problem is, is that that's what you hear. You know, you grow up, get married, have kids. That's, that's what you're supposed to do. The fact that I didn't feel the need to do that made me wonder if I was okay. I didn't feel not okay, but because of society... Society wants you to have kids. They want you to have as many kids as possible. So I did wonder if I was not quite quite normal. And it turns out I am because there are a lot of other child-free people at that time. Myself
0: included. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know how old you are, but I'm turning 60 soon. So in 1996, when I was 35, I mean, it was practically unheard of. That people didn't have children. I mean, they wanted to know what is wrong with you. What is wrong with you that you don't have children? And I don't know. Did you ever... I don't know how old you are, and I'm not going (laughs) to...
0: It's okay. I'm actually past the point of being able to have children and, you know, midlife here, and I never had that feeling either. I knew from a child that I used to tell my mom, I I don't want kids. I'm okay. As a kid, I would say that to her, and she would say, well, I would like grandchildren. I said, well, you have a son. So... (laughs)
1: Yeah. It's funny. My parents never said a single word. And the interesting thing is, is none of my sisters or I have children.
0: Wow. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So anyway, with my husband not believing me, which kind of felt good and kind of bad at the same time, I thought, well, he knows about this whole mediumship thing and this whole ghost thing. I'll just buy some of these cameras that look like uh, photo frames, you know, frames with a fake photo in it, which is motion detection. And I'll just set some of these up in my bedroom, and I'll be able to catch them in the act. I mean, it shouldn't be that hard to do. Well, uh, I did set them all up, and my cameras, um, I would turn them on, I would test them, and then I would go to bed, and the next day, it would be between on and off. It was not, neither on nor off. Interesting. (laughs) And didn't record anything. So that happened. So I I tried quite a few things. I stayed up all night, uh, but, you know, I'm not 20 anymore, and I can't do that. And function the next day, which uh, I already knew that, but you know, sometimes you need a little reminder. That doesn't work so well anymore. <laughs> and so I did try quite a few things uh, initially to try to catch them, and I finally just realized I couldn't. But I did notice, uh, I, and after feeling so scared and so frightened, uh, you know, I did go to my medium to help me figure out what to do, because now that we knew that I was being abducted, I wanted to find out how to stop it. So she really thought that I should get rid of my soul contracts. She had the idea that I had a soul contract and I had chosen this life. I had chosen to be abducted, which didn't sit well with me because even if uh, I wasn't the same person as I am now, when I chose this stuff, I just can't even imagine that I would choose it. Right. I fought back a little on that. And she, you know, kept saying, no, no, we just got to you know, we got to get rid of these contracts. So we tried. We tried to get rid of them. Um, she gave me a, I think, uh, setting protections each night. My husband called it my manifesto. I read it. I demanded my sovereignty. I demanded my right to free will. I respectfully demanded for my archangels to protect me from this. We tried to change the Akashic records. We did everything. We did everything she could think of. We also did um, a lot of healings to try to heal me from these abductions and whatever contracts I was under. And, uh, you know, nothing really worked. I eventually just realized that it wasn't working and I had to go my own way to try to find out what was going on. One of the things I did do was um, I'm kind of like a, I'm not an engineer, but I I guess I think like one. So I started, or a scientist, maybe I'm really a scientist, (laughs) I started, you know, writing everything down. So, and I started trying to notice things. So one of the things I noticed was that whenever I went to bed, the next day I would notice that my clothes had this funky smell. And I would think, oh my gosh, you know, what's going on? So I started noticing I would smell them when they came out of the dryer. Sometimes they would be like that. Not directly out of the dryer, but if they'd been sitting in the dryer for a little while. Or they'd been folded, because I actually do the laundry. My husband folds. So I would find my folded clothes with this funky smell and it smelled like B.O. and feet. And sometimes it was just heinous. I mean, it was a really, really strong smell. And I thought, I can't wear this. What the heck? Am I not putting in enough uh, laundry detergent? What's going on here? And I did the, uh, you know, take it straight out of the laundry room, uh, put it into the closet. And I found eventually that anything in the laundry room was fair game and anything I put on my counter. Um, A lot of times I put stuff on my counter and then wear it the next day or whatever. And so I found that when I left, that's how I finally figured out that I was physically leaving was that my clothes would smell. That was one of my clues. And so did your
0: husband ever notice anything or did he just sleep through everything? And also, did your cats ever make you aware of any presence? Did they ever start howling or anything strange?
1: Yes. Actually, my cats did uh, do that. Uh, What they would do is they would, yeah, yowl. I I mean, I don't don't know how your cats yowl, but they would make yowling noises. And at first I thought, what is the heck's going on? Because, you know, it'd be the middle of the night and, you know, this yowling. And so it took me quite a long time to figure out that they were actually letting me know that something was in the room that they could see. Because, you know, because I remember we've had these cats for 14 years now, that when I lived in California, they would suddenly, you know, look up at a wall, something would draw their attention and they would look up and then I would think, what's there over there that I need to be aware of? And it's something they can see that we can't see. So yes, at night they would wake up. But my husband, it's the weirdest thing, but I've heard this is common. So I didn't know until I started telling people my story that this is a common thing is that the husband never wakes up. Oh. They sleep right through everything. And so um, from what I understand is it's because the ETs mostly want the women and, you know, not the men. Cause I guess we're like breeders for their hybrid children. So uh, yeah, so he never wakes up. I mean, but he's one of those guys as soon as his head hits the pillow, he's asleep. And if I woke him up, they would probably be gone or become invisible or whatever. You know, I just started writing everything down because I didn't know what was important. And I wanted to be able to figure out what was happening. And it gave me a feeling of control over my situation. So I also went to an acupuncturist, which was somebody who my medium told me he was very intuitive and he could help me see the ATs that were coming. So um, one night I was laying in bed and a praying nantas showed up in my room. Oh, boy like a seven foot tall praying mantis. And um, the first thing he did was he hit me on my lady private parts with a spoon or a tuning fork and it really hurt. And then he pointed
0: at me and then I fell asleep. Do you think that that tuning fork maybe put out like a vibration to put you to sleep? That's so weird. It's such a strange thing.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I wish I, you know, it's one of those things where first of all, When you see it, you just cannot believe what you're seeing because I expected to see greys. Right. (laughs) And to see a giant praying mantis, you know, kind of stride into the room and then, you know, you don't even have time to process it, but it felt like a spoon, but it did vibrate. So I don't know, but it was really painful. So I don't know if it was the pain or if it was, there was some sort of access pain point right there. I don't know. I don't know, but I did fall asleep right away after he pointed at me. So I'm not sure, and also, I didn't have time to react. I did have another one where I had uh, cut my leg on a recycle bin. It was fine. It was fine, you know, all day, but at night I went to bed and all of a sudden it starts throbbing. And it's near my knee, a giant seven foot tall greenish praying mantis shows up on my bed. In that case, uh, she was using telepathy, or she or he, and uh, was trying to get me to go to her ship so she could fix my leg. And it was then I realized, oh my gosh, I have an implant and I damaged it by cutting it on the recycle bin. And it's calling her. <laughs> and I was just laying there just so transfixed at this sight. Uh, I wasn't frozen because a lot of people say they're frozen. They can't move. I could have moved. I just could not believe my eyes. It was one of those things where you just can't pull your eyes away. I mean, you're afraid if you pull your eyes away, then it'll disappear. But that happened to me. She tried really, really hard to get me to agree to go to her ship. I wouldn't do it. Finally, she said, well, if the bad aliens come and take you from them. I said, well, all right. But, you know, I don't really want to agree to go to a ship because I don't want you to say, oh, you agreed to this, you know, later. Right. But the next day, my leg didn't hurt anymore. And I think they fixed the implants.
0: Did... The mantis, do they have a scent? I know you said your clothing has a smell, but when you encountered them, did they have a smell?
1: Not not that I remember. I don't remember anything. But the smell, I mean, it literally, the smell of the clothes is almost like you've been in your clothes for three days to a week. And wherever you are, it's kind of an underground, dank smell. If you can imagine having, or, you know, having somebody who's done a lot of work, like, manual labor, like digging ditches or being on a roof, or, you know, anytime you're really sweating and they put all their yucky clothes on top of yours in the hamper and you pull one out and you think, maybe I could wear this. And then you smell it. And you go, no. Right. <laughs> I can't <know> that. <laughs> it's that kind of thing where you're just, oh my gosh, I cannot even be in the same room as these clothes. So I didn't notice anything, but, you know, I think I was just so fascinated by their I was trying to take it all in, but I don't remember a particular smell. But yes, my cats, they do make noises, but it seems like they didn't make any noise. And that's one of the things that I found is that there are times when they don't make any noise as if they're like have been knocked out too, in addition to my husband. Uh, But most of the time they do make noises, but those are the ones I can't see at all. So
0: I know that some abductions are generational maybe a parent is working for the government and their children have been recruited for this. Do you believe this to be true for you? Do you think that maybe you said your father did engineering work? And I wondered if you thought maybe your sisters have experienced this as well, or if maybe your father's experienced this?
1: I think think my father has. He's actually passed away in 2019. I didn't really have a very good relationship with them. And it wasn't that it wasn't bad. It was just I couldn't find any common ground with him, you know. But um, he was very, very closed mouth and secretive about everything. So it could be that he, he was. One of the things that one of my sisters told me who was closer to him was that he hated science fiction. He wouldn't read it. He wouldn't watch it. And it kind of made me wonder, you know. Why would you have such a strong aversion to science fiction? Right. And that made me feel like that was a kind of a clue, even though, you know, it could be anything. When my father was in hospice, basically, I was staying with my sister and she has one bed. So we were staying in the same bed that night. She woke me up, patting my hand, saying, you don't have to go. So she didn't remember anything. And she's one of those people that doesn't want to know, doesn't want anything to do with it. Whereas I have to know the truth, I have to get down to the bottom of it, but she just doesn't really want to know. And I think it's because she probably couldn't sleep at night either. And I don't blame her to each his own, you know, i just really have to know the truth. I mean, I cannot live with not knowing. So even if I'm going to hate it, I still have to dig for the well, truth. Understandably. So I believe you,
0: you've had, uh, <laughs> actual physical, I've seen pictures that you've sent over and you've had physical prints on you, marks where there's been injections, all sorts of bruising and different things like that. Did you notice when you were a kid, if you had that, when you were a child, did you wake up and go, oh, geez, I wonder where I got this bruise? Or is this something you didn't notice until you started making this discovery?
1: Yeah, I didn't notice it as a kid. And also, um, as a disclaimer, I am a bit klutzy my mom is too and or was and it was so interesting i wondered you know after i found this out i wondered how many of her bruises that she thought she was walking into things in the middle of the night were actually from abductions because she she would just have a a ton of bruises and i would too but i just didn't uh you know it's not in the forefront of your mind uh, you know you think that you've done something you know you've knocked into something and I do do that. I mean, I'm one of those people that are trying to efficiently like walk and cut corners and, you know, get as close to the corner as I possibly can. Right. And so I've been known to, to whack my arm or something like that when that table like jumps out at you. I don't know if that happens to you, but it does happen to me. And so I, you know, for a long time, I just thought it was me and my klutziness. But now I have to look back and say, wait a minute, there was probably a lot more to that than I ever thought. I just didn't have the context in my mind for what could possibly be happening.
0: I have to tell you, when I was going through your book, it makes you question things. When you start reading, you're like, wait a minute you actually start getting a little frightened and questioning things like, was that real or was that a dream? That's uh, you right. know. So I, I would say to the listeners, if you pick this book up, be prepared to actually start questioning and analyzing.
1: Well, that's good because that's what I want everyone to do. I want everyone to, first of all, if you do have these bruises or these marks, because I started finding, you know, these weird marks that looked like, well, first it looked like a square, which I'd heard reported. But then I realized that sometimes they were wider and sometimes they were closer and, you know, they were always two. And I realized this could be a cattle prod. This could be a, you know, a stun gun, Mark. What if, you know, I'm being hit by a stun gun and that's how they're taking me out of my bed? Because I really don't know. I am trying to piece everything together a little at a time. And so everyone who's reading this, if you wake up with weird bruises, I mean, try to look at your body. I mean, most of us don't go, okay, let me make sure I don't have any bruises before I go to right. sleep. But if you do just start taking photos, because you never know when you're going to write a book, because I don't ha- have a lot of photos because I didn't realize I was going write, to write a book and need them. And not that it proves anything, but it, at least you, you can talk to people about what you've Think might have happened or at least you can give you another clue. When you're doing this, I felt really helpless and horrified and also like I was a guinea pig and that I had no idea. And so actually writing things down and, you know, documenting everything can actually give you a feeling of control over your situation because now there might be guinea pigging you, but you can guinea pig them back, right? You can pay attention to all of these things and write them down and Document them to the best of your ability and piece everything together. One of the things that I also did was I took a bunch of healing classes. And I found one that I like called La Ho Chi. And it's in my book. It allows you to do self-healing, hands-on self-healing. And uh, your hands get hot, you know, after a while of doing it on yourself or other people. It really is helpful. I mean, I found that after I came back from abduction, I'd be really, really wide awake. And, you know, I'd be awake at four o'clock in the morning or 2.42 or 3.33, uh, other times like that. Um, and then I would do La Ho Chi and I'd be able to fall asleep because I felt like it was such a shock to the system. So when I was taking these classes, it was really helpful to me. But one of the things that you might not have gotten through, because I just read my book, too, because I've changed so much in the year that I, after I published this book, everything's changed so much for me. And I've, I have have answered a lot of the questions I have in my book that I didn't know the answer to at the time. This is why it's so important to document your experience and your journey because once you have gone through that and gained all your knowledge, if you put it in a book like I did, then when you go back and read it, you go, oh, now I know what that means. Oh, that makes more sense to me. Or, you know, all of the little pieces suddenly come together. But one of the things I did was I found some healing books one is called The Hyperspace Helper, and there's a guy named Stuart Swerdlow. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he was in the uh, mom talks. Yeah, he was I a mom talk boy. <laughs> I knew that, but I didn't know he'd been abducted when I wrote my book. So I found his books. Oh, my gosh, they helped me so much. Also, I read everything I could on everyone else's experiences, because one of the things that happens is that we are all having different experiences. And it's hard to determine how it all fits together. And it might not sound like anyone else's story. I read Whitley Strieber's book called Communion, and it talked about how the mind makes up something called a screen memory. And the screen memory is what we call dreams. And sometimes we can tell the difference if you're having a stress dream because you lost your purse and you don't remember the last time you saw it and you're thinking back in your mind, or you were in a class and you thought you dropped it, but you really didn't. Now, today's the test. That kind of thing. For me, those are stress dreams. And I've always felt that the dream is what I feel, not what I see. And it's your mind way of handling what's really happening to you. It's giving you a something that your mind can actually handle as opposed to whatever trauma you're actually going through. And so when I heard that, it really helped me because I found by reading these books by Stuart Swerdlow is that you could use a exercise called the Green Spiral Staircase, which allows you to look behind your dream. What I call it is remote viewing your own mind. Now, remote viewing is actually a thing, and it was created by the people at SRI, where you actually use your mind and use your own ESP to see things. I don't know if I'm explaining it well enough, but basically, you get your dream, you write it all down... Get the green spiral staircase and you follow the instructions in the book or in Stuart's book, where I got it from, and you keep that idea in your mind of your dream. You put your third chakra in royal blue and you put your entire body in a medium green. And before you, and with your dream in mind, you walk down this green spiral staircase that you see in front of you. And when you get to a point where you feel like you need to step off, you step off. And before you, like a movie, you will see what really was happening in your dreams, not what you saw, not your stress dream, not your dream about being on a fence with your boyfriend, but what was really happening. And this is how you determine what was really happening to you, not what the ETs want you to see, not what they want you to believe, but the truth. And this is how you start piecing together all the little pieces that go together to your story of what's really happening to you. And in my book, I actually have my journal in there, and it'll show you the dreams I had, what I saw behind them. Each time I had a dream, uh, then I slowly piece everything together. And it's a really good way of knowing what's happening to you. If you don't do that, just definitely take a remote viewing course. There are a couple of instructors. David Morehouse wrote Psychic Warrior. That's how I heard about his class remote viewing, and he explains exactly how to do everything step by step. I actually have a roadmap of everything I did, how I did it, so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. But I want everyone to use it as kind of a jumping off point. Here's what Lisa did. You don't have to reinvent the wheel if you don't want to. Here it is. Or I had an idea. I might be able to use it for this. I might be able to use it for that. We're all different. We all have our different strengths and weaknesses, and we all have our different experiences. And if everyone could start utilizing what's behind these dreams, they could find out what's really happening to them. And I know it's scary, but one of the things that happens is when you open up your mind like that, some other things, sometimes other information, knowings fall out. That's what I found. Also, you will just, the more you see, the more desensitized you get to the things that You'll see. So I kept seeing spiders and um, praying mantis. I was in a lot of surgeries. Your mind will show you only the important stuff, not the gory details, not them grabbing your eyeball and squeezing it or anything like that. It's just, just what you need to know. When the scene ends, then you go back up to the staircase and you put yourself in brown to ground you and then you write everything down. And that's the only way I found to figure out what's really happening and to understand what's happening to me. And I really wanted everyone to know that I found these tools. They're not mine, they're Stuart Swordlow's. but this is how I used them to look behind in my own mind to find out the truth of what's really happening to me and uh, put it all together and then write it all down and then tell everyone about it so that they can be informed and also go on
0: their own journeys. Did you ever wake up during one of these abductions?
1: Yes, I have woken up. Once I woke up, and I was floating down to the bed. And other times I've seen not ships. I don't always see ships. I sometimes see operating rooms. And so I am under the impression for myself is that I am tortured on a regular basis. And I feel like I'm some sort of science experiment for them. And either to find out how much pain I can take or... I don't know, because right now I have implants in my eyes, and they kind of look like AI, as if I have AI in both of my eyes. Now, um, one of my eyes is my right eye, has glaucoma, and has some other issues. So I go to the ophthalmologist pretty regularly, but they can't find a single thing in there. But it's a really bright white light. It's the kind of orb when you rub your eye, you know. If you do it now, you can see that little orb. That's what it looks like. It turns on. During the day, I can turn it off by flicking my head to the right, but I just find it annoying because I don't know if it's watching me. Is it spying on me every time it turns on? What is it doing? Why is it there? Almost to see your perspective. Exactly. So I don't really know why it's there. And, you know, the other problem I have with the whole thing is that they wipe our memories. And the problem is, is that you're not giving us a choice. You're taking away our memories. We have no idea what you're really doing, what your agenda is. And now you can control the narrative of what's happening to us, that we're crazy or one of those people or whatever, but we don't really know. And so it's just, it's, it's a scary experience, but we can take away their power by looking behind in our own mind before the memory wipe and finding out the truth and then talking to each other. So please talk to each other because one of the hard things for me to do, I mean, I wanted everyone to talk about ET abduction, but then I had to talk about it. And it is a hard thing because you do lose a lot of friendships. It becomes this thing you have to talk about. It's sort of like a cast on your leg. Everybody can see it. You don't know what they're thinking and you just have to have a hard shell. But if more of us talked about it, we could compare notes. And that's why I wrote the book so that we can all compare notes and we can all talk to each other and make this topic mainstream and not taboo. Let me go back. Let's see. Uh, Yes, I have woken up before I was in operating rooms. Also, I remember seeing some sort of like tin can. It was like an arm, a shiny arm with a um, what I call a coffee can with two knobs on the bottom. They were moving it around my body. And that's the only time I ever woke up.
0: It almost sounds like It's a mixture between maybe government and the ETs took you initially and did these things, but the government almost has a hand in this somehow, or there's something, I don't know if I want to use the word government, because you said that when you remote viewed, you saw yourself in different places, not necessarily on a ship, but like a warehouse and things like that. Yeah. I mean, that just seems odd to me if you're an ET to bring you to a warehouse.
1: Yes, I agree. I mean, I've seen myself in a hangar, like a giant like a hangar of an airplane hangar. I've also seen myself in like this, and I can only describe it as this, like a jelly, like almost like a giant jellyfish, but I'm inside of a giant jellyfish and it's actually like a floating surgery center. So stuff like that. I agree with you. I think it is uh, military in nature and maybe they're using the uh, ETs as a cover. I don't know. That's one of the problems is that there are so many unknowns and I think sometimes too... There are so many people that have all these different viewpoints, and there are people called contactees. They actually like being taken, but I get, don't like it because I don't want to be taken against my will without my consent. There's the experiencers, and there are different names, but you know, I use the word abductee and abducted because I do not appreciate it. I think that a lot of people feel that way, but there are some people that welcome it.
0: I would imagine anyone that is being taken against their will is something negative. I don't know how you can look at that as a positive experience, no matter what, unless again, there are those screen memories that they're placing within you to make it feel as though it's all warm and cozy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do agree. I do think there is some of that going on because I do believe that a lot of times they use hypnosis of some type. And that's one of the reasons why I refuse to do hypnotic regression. And it's because i don't really know what's going on there i have enough problems with not knowing what's going on to voluntarily go do hypnotic regression so i just don't i feel like there are too many unknowns and i just don't want to agree to something like that and not know what i was really getting into but yeah i agree i think that they're using a lot of hypnosis Um, I, i think in my book I woke up and um, I have a clock that projects on the ceiling, so in red digital numbers. And so I will see, would see the time right away. So that's how come I wrote down the time so much was because I knew what time it was because I just had to open my eyes. But I remember waking up saying, don't move until 3 one you know, and I didn't even know what that meant until I looked up at the ceiling and it was three thirty. So I finally realized that probably means that I'm not supposed to leave my bed like a geofence don't leave your bed until it's 3.31. Being the personality I am, I got up anyway <laughs> at 3.30 and you know, staggered to the bathroom and had a hard time walking. Now, I don't know what it would have happened if I would have waited until 3.31, but I just thought it was really weird that I would actually get that directive of don't move until it's 3.31.
0: If you try to put yourself in your place or in many of the experiences or the, the people that have been through this, it's scary. It's a scary thing to think about. It's so easy to scoff at. It's so easy to go, oh yeah, whatever. That person's crazy. But there's been a lot of people that have come forward with, like you said, different stories or different iterations. And I had come across a man named Paul Anthony Wallace. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's an Australian gentleman. And he wrote a book called Escaping Eden and Scars of Eden. And he believes that hidden in plain sight, even in the Bible that our ancestors were genetically modified and that Mm. there's been this ongoing hybridization program. And the craziest part about that is that this is an oral story that has gone across the Eastern seaboard from Ghana, Haiti, India, Greece, and the whole of Europe. In fact, the whole of Europe was named after an ET abductee Europa. And Europa was the daughter of a King Phoenicia and she produced three hybrid children. One who was Menos the progenitor of the Minoan culture. Now, this was told as history, not as fiction, which is very interesting. And different iterations of the same story has been told all over the world. So if you want to say, oh, well, this person's crazy, you really need to look back into history and listen to the oral traditions from around the world, because there's a lot of the same claims.
1: Yes. I mean, I agree. I think there uh, I think there are a lot of people in plain sight. Actually, I have my own theories. I can't say what they are right now, but I do have a theory that we are actually looking at a lot of the hybrids. I did have a experience with the ETs trying to get me to uh, look at my hybrid child, apparently, because of all the eggs they stole from me. And during the experience, they said, well, you're holding your hybrid child. How do you feel? How does it feel to have your hybrid child in your arms? And I said, well, I don't feel anything. But if I did, I wouldn't tell you because I know you'd use it against me. And I think there's a lot of manipulation going on with these hybrid children. Now, the interesting thing is that hybrid child looked exactly, I mean, looked like a human child. And I really think, without going into too much detail about my theories, is that I think that We are looking at a lot of hybrids and I don't think it's, you know, people on the spectrum or anything like that. I think they look exactly like us and we just don't realize it. We don't realize what we're looking at in the same way as me getting all these bruises and thinking I knew where these bruises were coming from and then finding out that they weren't coming from where I thought they were coming from. I just needed a different perspective. And that's why I really think that uh, everyone should learn how to do remote viewing because it gives you a different perspective. It opens up your mind to the possibilities. Once that opening has occurred, it's a lot harder to go back to your old way of thinking, and all these new ideas start popping up. So I really urge everyone to learn remote viewing.
0: It can't hurt anyway to have that facet, (laughs) just to master that. Do you notice that you've had any health complications because of these abductions? I know you said you had glaucoma happening, but have you noticed anything else? Maybe autoimmune issues or anything like that? Yes, I have had
1: autoimmune issues. And uh, actually with the glaucoma, now this is the interesting thing. So just to go back, I had eye surgery when I was 32. I had cataracts and uh, I was the youngest person to ever have cataract surgery where they actually gave you these little discs in your eyes. When that happened in uh, 1993. So here I am having that for quite a few years, and uh, there's something called vitreous detachment that happens with a lot of people that had lens replacement. I had vitreous detachment. I had it in both eyes, but my right eye was my weaker eye, so I thought, well, I'm not going to mess with my left eye, the good eye, so I had a surgery to remove vitreous detachment. It's basically the lining of your eye falls down, Parts of the ceiling of your eye falls down, and then it floats around, that's not like a an eye booger or something that, you know, obscures your vision on the outside It's actually on the inside. So if these things start moving around and they move around at the same time in both eyes, you cannot not see very well. So I got this surgery and everything was fine. And a month or so after the surgery, I found out that my pupil was damaged. So it wasn't damaged during the surgery. My right pupil doesn't constrict all the way. And then at the same time, after seeing, uh, you know, a month's worth of fine eyes, I suddenly have glaucoma, which is damaged optical nerve. So my feeling is they saw their opportunity. I had the surgery and maybe they did some other things. I blame them for that because I didn't have that going in to my surgery. It wasn't a complication. It just appeared. So yeah, yeah. And I do have some autoimmune problems. Unfortunately, you can also say, well, you're getting older and blah, 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 menopause and you know, all that, but I've already been through menopause and, um, yeah, right now I'm having horrible hormone issues. So I thought, well, my gosh, I got to get this taken care of. So just a lot of really weird things that just don't belong in your life at age 60 are showing up. And yeah, you can say, oh yeah, it's just your body. But I really think that it's something that they're doing to me. I don't know what they're, how they're experimenting on me or what, but I would like to know and I'd like to stop it. So that's my goal. And I actually am down to one group now because I used to get abducted four times a night, every night, four times, and maybe even longer. That's how many I could actually pin down. Now I'm hoping for once a night and I'm trying to cut that down to maybe once a week. But anyway, I'm still working at it. These tools work. You just have to put in the time. It is still going on. So yeah, I probably should have said how I'm fighting back. And I realize that later, how I'm fighting back and how you can too. But yeah, I felt that pressure to get the book out as quickly as possible to give everyone the information so that they could start fighting back. The ones that wanted to know, the ones that wanted the truth, the ones that are like me who don't want it to happen anymore. We needed hope. We needed something that works. And we needed support for each other on what to do. And unfortunately, a lot of it is trial and error. So I'm hoping that eventually people will start telling me what they're doing with it. But I think there's a lot of fear and a lot of feeling of, I don't want to say because I don't want them to know and I don't blame them. Uh, we, We could help each other if we all talk about this. Tell me what works for you.
0: Yeah, I think there is a stigma of coming forward. Things are evolving so quickly in the 80s when I was experiencing hauntings. That was kind of unheard of then. And there was no one really to call. Now you have television shows and things that are going on all the time. There's conventions for it, and it's more acceptable. It's more mainstream. And I do notice that we are coming kind of into a time where things are being disclosed more. And you're seeing witnesses and people coming forward and government documents that are opening up on the tic tac ships that they're seeing and pilots that are witnessing these things that were unable to speak about these things before. And now they're coming forward and it's coming more into the light. Do you think that we're going to come into a time of disclosure? I did
1: think that for a while, but I don't now. And it's because of who I think that the uh, ETs, you know, the ETs are, are the hybrids among us. I think they have a good thing going and I don't see that happening anymore. I did for a while. But now I'm starting to feel like it was all kind of like a, uh, I don't want to swear, but mind (laughs) screwery to use, uh, you know, good words. But I I think that they are just trying to manipulate our minds because that's what I think a lot of this is about is manipulation. So I don't think so, but I I hope I'm wrong. I hope it does happen. But uh, I do think that the U.S. in particular seems to be very um, worried I mean, that's my impression, that they're worried that somebody else is going to tell the truth before they do. And it seems like they're trying to mitigate that by throwing out some documents that they've helpfully blacked out.
0: (laughs) uh, For sure. Yeah, you had like (laughs) the Canadian prime minister at one point made a comment some years back. (laughs) I just hope there is a disclosure. I think we're all waiting for it. I I think we all innately know that there's other life besides us in this universe. And yeah. the question is, is, is it negative? Is it a, a bad thing or is it a good thing? Or is it a mixture of both? In your experience, it's negative. I would say a lot of people's is negative. I would hope there's some positive to this. Why do you think they're doing this to you? What What is the end game?
1: Um, well, one thing in my book, I talk about this uh, too, is that I talk about how ETs and narcissists, the human narcissist are very similar. Because that's what I've noticed about them is that they're extremely, they have their own agenda. They're not willing to tell you what it is. They enjoy hurting us. They enjoy, you know, and whatever their technology is, it seems like they can torture us, hurt us, you know, cut us open, use a little pin and put us back together and then send us back to our bed and then do it all over again. And I don't think they use anesthesia. So I think whatever they're doing, they're enjoying the pain, anxiety, panic fear, terror, I really believe that they enjoy doing all that. I don't know why they picked me. Maybe I'm just one of the lucky ones, but that's what I think because they get so much of a big deal out of it. Now, if you look at a, um, a human a narcissist, they like to cause drama and chaos and pain and panic and, you know, all these things. They like to hurt people's feelings. They like to exclude you, have you excluded from other people that's their goal. Their goal is to take control. And so I really see the parallels between the way the ETs act and the way the human narcissist acts. So I'm, I just think that you are targeted and I don't know what they see. I see in me that uh, caused them to choose me, but I do think we're chosen. And I think that's unfortunate. I don't know why. I mean, I can't imagine what the criteria is, but I wish I wasn't one, but I guess if I weren't, then I wouldn't be writing this book and getting back at them. <laughs> so
0: maybe that's why your spirit guide said you're a beacon of light, is because you're coming forward to help others through their experiences.
1: Yeah. Well, I hope that's uh, the case. I probably will have to write another book, but it's hard, you know, being one of these people saying things that people don't want to hear. Unfortunately, you know, there are a lot of the people that are contactees and experiencers, and they, you know, welcome their hybrid children with open arms and, you know, they make it sound so great and they know, they understand now, they understand the message and, you know, they don't understand, but I I feel like in some ways it was sort of like polarization. So, you know, in the way Facebook kind of polarized people, that's how I think divide and conquer. That's how I think the ETs do it, but I agree. Hopefully the reason they chose me was that, or I was chosen I was given the idea of writing a book or actually it came from multiple people. I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it because I just couldn't imagine doing it. There's so much to know about writing a book. And then afterwards, there's a very large learning curve, as you know.
0: Oh, I know. And then you have to relive that as you're writing it. And it's kind of like, oh, my God, I have to go through this again because I have to play it back in memory to be able to put it down it can be traumatizing. It can bring up PTSD. It can bring up a lot of feelings that you've experienced and you thought that you've already gone through this and now you have to go through it again.
1: Yeah. But also, you know, the business side of it, you know, the, you know, having a website and you know, all that stuff didn't come natural to me. And so I just, you know, there's just a lot to know. I'm not complaining. It's just that I sometimes feel, uh, you know, that it's a bit overwhelming.
0: It is. And I think that, sadly, print is kind of dying. And I think most people now get their information from podcasts like this, or from audiobooks and things like that, which makes me very sad. Because as you said, it is so much work to publish a book, and it actually costs more than you read, you know? yeah. (laughs) So you're putting out so much work and so much energy, and it's an interesting exchange, that's for sure. What can people do who are experiencing similar things to you? What, what is maybe a couple pieces of advice that you can give that they can implement now?
1: One thing I would do is definitely get a notebook, write everything down, and try to think of it as like they're your guinea pigs. I think that's the most important thing is that whenever it's happening to you, any thought that comes to you, um, any a new idea, write it down. And even if it sounds crazy, it doesn't matter because no one's going to see that but you. The second thing is I found that, and I'm not religious, but the word Yahweh, which is a Hebrew word for God, actually really, really, really helps with negativity. And when I use it, it clears the room of negativity. It just clears things up. Now, it does not stop an abduction. So the other thing is meditation. Um, I talk about a couple of them in my book. I got a. I actually had my husband build a um, copper pyramid. Made with speaker wire, four copper pipes, and a split ring, which is the rings that you put on your keys, the ones that break your fingernails while you try to open them. Yeah. Um, Split (laughs) ring. Get a big one, get a giant one. But anyway, I have instructions in my book about it and use that to meditate because the meditation will really, really help. It'll clear your mind, make you feel better. It also, the copper pyramid acts as a funnel for your information. So those are the couple of things I would do. But Yahweh really, really helps, especially when you're scared at night and you can feel, you know, or hear anything in your room. If you see anything, um, I found that I had these smoke monsters that would show up. And that's all I could think of. If everyone saw Lost, the, the big smoke monsters, I've seen a couple of those near my windows. And uh, they try to jump on me and try to suffocate me or suck on me. I can't figure out what their deal is, but Yahweh. That really works and it makes them just disappear. So yeah, anytime you're really scared, definitely use Yahweh. Definitely use meditation. Meditation is a key. And if you can create that copper pyramid, it's just a couple of copper pipes. You split the speaker wire and you just tie it, tie it on the bottom. There's instructions, like I said, in my book. So I think those will really help. But definitely if you can, I mean, those are the quick ones. Definitely invest in a remote viewing course and um, find out what your world is really made of, because there's a lot more to our world than we know.
0: I find that very interesting because I had uh, watched a medium who spoke about a place that was severely haunted, and she ended up pounding a copper pipe at the front door and at the back (laughs) door. But she said that kept things that were negative out. And also the other thing that was interesting is the word Yahweh. When I was receiving those EVPs and those communications that were very strange, my grandmother had come into that session and said the word Yahweh. And I had no idea what that meant. And when I had heard that from you, it just kind of was like, wow, maybe she was warning me in a way, or maybe I was meant to say that word, or she said that word in a way to protect me. I'll never know, but I find it interesting that it ties into what you're saying and it can't hurt.
1: Absolutely. And that's one of the things is that um, when I You know, when I went this path, uh, I didn't do it because I thought it was best. I thought I have nothing to lose. And that's exactly why I did everything. I had nothing really to lose by writing this book. I mean, nothing was working. I tried everything else and nothing. uh, I had nothing to lose by saying the word Yahweh, nothing to lose by creating this copper pyramid. I mean, everything. If you have nothing to lose but to try these things and they work for you, so much the better. So don't worry so much about how it will look or whatever. Just don't tell people, (laughs) but (laughs) um, definitely try these things because you have nothing to lose and you have everything to gain. Um, If it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. Try something else and then write your book and say, oh, Lisa wrote this book and it it didn't help me, but it led me to another path. And oh my gosh, you won't believe what I found you won't believe what I discovered. You won't believe what I heard. You know what I mean? So I'm hoping just to start the conversation and get people to try different things to open up their minds.
0: Definitely. And if any listeners can identify with this or they want to get in touch with Lisa, I would go to her Facebook groups, go to her website. I will have everything listed in the description. If you're like her and you're at your wit's end, what can it hurt to try? Thank you so much, Lisa, for taking the time to come forward with this information and share it. And I'm really sorry you had to go through and you continue to have to endure these things. And I hope that there's resolve because I don't want to believe that we're destined in some soul contract to experience these horrible atrocities against our will.
1: I definitely agree. I don't think we are either. I think that's an excuse, (laughs) truthfully. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And I appreciate your uh, willingness to let me get on your show and tell you what I think.
0: To the spirit. Oh. Podcast. Supernatural. Supernatural. Science. Alien. I'm ghost, ghost,
1: ghosting, ghost.
0: Thank you. Mystic. Spirit. Divine source. Heaven. The day. It's magic.